good morning to you all. It's good to see you and those joining us via live stream. We're so thankful that you're here, either in person or virtually. And if you're a guest this morning, I would love to talk with you. Pastor Jesse would love to talk with you. Brother Jacob would love to talk with you. Please come and introduce yourself. I'd love to introduce myself to you as well. Well, let's go ahead and open up to Philippians 3. Philippians 3. We're making our way through this wonderful book. And my prayer is that the passages, while we're dealing with the same book, that the material is fresh. I really strive to teach in a way that is compelling and interesting. One of my favorite professors from seminary, every time he would teach... I would learn something new, and that's really my hope for you, is that while we're going through the same material, while we go through the same book, that it's still fresh and you're still learning. I really strive to, to show you things from Scripture that you might not know. That's always my aim, and that's always what it is that I strive to do. This morning's passage is going to be Philippians 3.3. Now before we read the passage, let me give a brief introduction to what we'll be discussing today. As I've said from this pulpit a number of times, theology, what we think about God, matters. It's really important. Whenever you hear the word God, what are the thoughts that come up in your mind? That's very important. It's essential. Good doctrine is essential for the life of a healthy church. Now, Christianity is also about deeds, about actions, about what we do. It's not just a contemplative life. One reason why being a monk in a monastery your whole life, one reason why that's not ideal is because it neglects the doing aspect of Christianity. Christianity is as much about doing as it is about thinking. And these two things go tightly together. And what we're going to see here in Philippians 3, verse 3, we're going to see that Paul moves the discussion away from theology, away from circumcision, away from a spiritual circumcision of the heart, and then he focuses on the deeds of Christians. Look with me, Philippians 3, 3. For we are the circumcision. That's what I dealt with last week. I explained last week that what Paul is referring to here is a spiritual circumcision. That's theology right there. But then Paul says this. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 3 mentions four characteristics that separate the Judaizers from Christians. There's four here. Last week I dealt with the first one, for we are the circumcision. I explained what that meant. And this week we're going to deal with the last three reasons for why the Judaizers are wrong. The first reason, the outline this morning is going to be very simple. I'm simply going to be lifting what Paul says here and using it as part of my outline. 
So what do you imagine the first point is going to be? What is the first thing, the first action that Christians do? What is the behavior that Paul uses to describe Christians here? Well, it's Christians, quote, looking at verse 3, worship by the Spirit of God. Christians, to know what a Christian is like is to kind of know what a duck is like. You hear the common phrase, how do you know a duck is a duck? Well, a duck quacks like a duck, a duck waddles like a duck, a duck acts like a duck. Christians also live a certain way. Christians live a certain way. If you claim the name of Christ, if you say to the world and to the church, I am a Christian, you must live a certain way. And what Paul specifies here, the first action that, Paul, that Christians do in verse 3 is Christians worship God. Very simple. This is my first point this morning. We worship God. Christians, the church, those who claim the name of Christ and truly have the Spirit of God living in their heart, we worship God. Christians worship God. Now, if you have an NIV this morning, we read from the ESV here. That's the Bible of choice that we use. There are a number of good Bible translations. You might have an NIV this morning. And if you have an NIV, what you will notice is that the NIV does not translate this point in verse 3 as we who worship by the Spirit of God. The NIV says we serve by the Spirit of God. A very good way to understand the Bible and to better understand it in order to teach it is to compare translations. It's a very helpful tool to do. We can understand disagreement between translations when we compare them. And the NIV and the ESV are saying different things. The NIV says, serve. The ESV and a number of other translations say, worship. And these words matter. It matters what the Bible says. We want to understand this so that we can live godly lives. So what is the right translation? What is the right rendering? You have two good Bible translations saying different things. The way I want you to understand this this morning, this verb, worship in the ESV, serve in the NIV, the way I want you to understand it complements something that Pastor Jesse has been teaching us a lot recently. Pastor Jesse has been saying to us over and over again that worship is not just something that we do on Sunday mornings. Worship is more than singing. And this verb here highlights that. This verb suggests that to us. Worship is whenever we give praise to God. We can do that through song. We can do that through preaching. We can do that through taking communion. We can do that to talking one another. We can do that through our work. There is no limit on the ways in which we can worship God. Now, one of the main ways that we worship God is through service, bringing the NIV translation in here. One of the ways we worship God is through service. 
what I'm going to argue, the way I want us to understand this, is that the verb here can either be translated worship or serve. And ultimately, it doesn't matter which translation we choose because worship is service. To worship God is to serve God and vice versa. To serve God, to bring to God some act of sacrifice, to say to God, look, Lord, what I have done in your name. That is worshiping him. So this very much complements what Pastor Jesse has been teaching us. This proves what Pastor Jesse has taught us. Worship is service. When we worship God, we serve him. And vice versa, when we serve him, we worship him. The NIV and the ESV are right here, theologically. They're both right. We don't have to choose. It's a both and rather than an either or. And then Paul specifies this. He has a prepositional phrase after this verb. Christians worship or serve God. And you notice here this phrase, looking again in verse 3, by the Spirit of God. That phrase is modifying the verb. It's telling us, Paul is telling us, how it is that Christians worship, how it is that Christians serve. When we come to Christ, we come to Christ by the power of the Spirit. What that means is that at the moment of conversion, what happens invisibly, if we were to be able to take an x-ray of our spiritual condition at the moment of our conversion, what we would see would we would see the Spirit of God coming in to our hearts, our souls. That's what we would see. But when God saves us, when God brings about this great work of redemption in our lives, he does not say, okay, now it's your turn. You do it. He does not leave us in the deep end of the pool to flounder and swim and to figure out, figure out the Christian life on our own. The Bible says that once Jesus ascended to the Father, he sent the Spirit. And one mark of the Christian age, different than the Old Testament, is that we have, Christians have, the Spirit living in us, and the Spirit will never be taken away from the Christian. The Spirit will produce in the Christian good works. The Spirit will produce in the Christian service and worship. God does not leave us to our own devices. What we experience in the Christian life is what we experience in salvation. We experience God's power. And that power is understood as the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is as much a part of the Christian life as he is a part of salvation, the initial point. And the Holy Spirit helps us in many ways. Many ways. I think the first way that the Holy Spirit helps us, this is not an exhaustive list. This is, I think it's a good list, but it's not exhaustive. The Holy Spirit does more than this. But first, the Holy Spirit's first task in the life of a Christian is conviction. We serve, we worship by the Spirit of God through the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings upon us. What the Holy Spirit does is whenever the Word of God is preached, this is why it's so important 
to attend church. It's so important to read the Word of God and to hear the Word of God preached. What the Holy Spirit does is He takes the truth of God and He applies it to your conscience. He applies it to your conscience. He shows you the ways in which you're not living up to Scripture. And oh, dear friend, this conviction is difficult. It is difficult to feel guilty. But it is so important. It is so important that we regularly confront this notion of the Spirit's convictions. It is uncomfortable. But the Holy Spirit is like a physician if we are sick. And we are sick. The Bible says that we are sinners. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit says, Chance, you are not well. You, your life needs to change. You are not worshiping God. You are not serving God in this manner. And the Holy Spirit convicts. He puts upon our hearts and our conscience shame and guilt. The Holy Spirit brings us down. He shows us that we need Christ. But the Holy Spirit does not leave us there. He does convict us, yes, but He also raises us up. The Christian life is one of victory over sin. And the second task that the Holy Spirit does is He empowers us. He convicts us, He brings us down, and He empowers us. He gives us spiritual gifts, He gets us off the couch of guilt and shame. And he puts us into the work of the ministry. He takes the feeble gifts, the inadequate efforts that we have, and he transforms them. And he takes them, and he applies Jesus Christ upon them. And the Holy Spirit uses us. He empowers us. He gives us strength and courage and hope. The fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit also comforts us We worship and serve God by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, oftentimes life can get us down. Service can get us down. It is hard, dear friend, to bear your soul for others. It is hard to regularly, continually pour out your soul for the goodness of others. It is much easier to be self-reserved. But that's not what the Lord calls us to. The Lord calls us to serve other people, to serve God by loving others. And when we do this, we'll become discouraged. We'll become discouraged and downtrodden. And what the Holy Spirit does is He comes alongside of us and He says, everything is going to be okay. Everything, even in all of life's difficulties, it's all going to turn out okay. Because Jesus is risen from the dead. We have hope. We have strength. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and says, God is with you. Lastly, the Holy Spirit assures us. This is kind of the opposite point of conviction. The Holy Spirit convicts our conscience, yes, when we're doing something wrong, but the Holy Spirit also assures our conscience when we're doing that which is right. If you choose to obey the Lord in this life, dear friend, you're going to get pushback from other people. Let's say that you've been burdened to share the gospel with a close coworker, And you've prayed about it. You've meditated on it. 
You've asked yourself over and over, is this the right opportunity? Is this the right opportunity? Is this the right opportunity? And at one moment, you take that opportunity. And let's say the conversation just doesn't go well. This, this happens. And let's say that they become mean to you, that they say, oh, you're judgmental or you're some self-righteous Christian. And as you're alone with your thoughts, you begin thinking, well, did I, did, did I do what was right? Did I, should I have said those things? Should I have told that person about their need for Christ? You're alone with your thoughts and your conscience. You ask yourself these questions. And what the Holy Spirit does is he says, he says yes. He says that it is better to live for God than to live for man. And he tells you by the word of God. He tells you that people reject the truth. And you need to respond in love and compassion. But dear friend, we are right to share the gospel. We are right to stand for God's truth. And when we get pushed back, the Holy Spirit assures us by means of our conscience that the Lord is with us and that we are doing His will and that we please God despite the appearance. So first point, summarizing this first point, we worship God or we serve God. Worship and serve are suggesting the same idea. And the way we do that is by the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit convicts us, He empowers us, He comforts us, and He assures us. And dear friend, the way we receive the Holy Spirit is not some through ecstatic experience of calling upon the Spirit of God. Dear friend, if you want to know the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God reveals Himself through His Word. And this is such an important point that we must be daily engaged in Scripture reading. If you are a Christian, if you claim the name of Christ, your greatest need is to hear from God regularly. And the way we do that is we form these disciplines of daily encounter with the Spirit of God by means of the Word of God. We have to regularly engage in Scripture, corporately and individually. Now, looking again at 3.3, we're transitioning to our second point here. For we are the circumcision. We worship by the Spirit of God, and we glory in Christ Jesus. My second point, taking this from this passage, we boast in Christ. First point, we serve God. Second point, we boast in Christ. Now this verb here, glory, this is what it means. To take pride in something, to boast, to glory, to pride oneself, to brag. Now these terms are synonyms. These ideas of boasting, priding, bragging, these are all referring to the same idea. The ESV translates it to glory in Christ. I say to boast. I'm, I, I, what, what I want to focus on with this point is how a Christian talks. There are many ways we can boast. There are many ways that we can boast in Christ or boast in ourselves or boast in some possession. But 
One of the, if not the main way, is through speech, through how we talk. The way you know who is a Christian is by what people say. And this highlights a very important practical point. The heart of man, what's in your heart, your relationship with Christ, is revealed by what you say. The spiritual condition of your heart is revealed by what you say. Now, there is a way we can conceal and hide. There is a way that, if we're mindful enough, we can trick other people into thinking that we're a different type of person. But generally, the more time you spend with someone, the more they talk, the more you can understand their spiritual condition. This is what Jesus says. Luke 6, 45. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, if, you, if your life is marked by evil, what you will talk about, what you will say the matters of importance that will come from your mouth will be marked and characterized by evil. Conversely, if you are a righteous person, if you've set your heart to obedience to Christ and submission to His Word, what will come forth from your mouth is our righteous things. Our heart reflects itself in what we say. A very simple idea. A very powerful idea, though. Paul teaches it, and Jesus teaches it. If you want to know how someone is doing in the relationship with Christ, listen to what they say. Ask them certain questions. Now, there are a couple of ways that I want to apply this idea. There are a number of ways that we can. Speech is very important in the Christian life. And I want to apply this by encouraging and exhorting you to avoid certain behaviors and engage in certain behaviors. The first behavior that we want to refrain from as Christians is language of self-exaltation. Don't brag. Don't brag about your accomplishments. Don't brag about your wealth. Don't brag about what you have. Don't brag about your education. Don't brag. But our hearts are really prone towards this, aren't we? It can be very easy to let the world know how great we are. All you have to do is just go on social media and look at people's posts. See what they're saying. People are very prone towards talking about themselves. And dear friend, the way of Christianity is to be humble with our speech, is to not engage in self-indulgence and self-exaltation. When Paul talks about himself, he talks about his weaknesses. And that really should be our model for speech. We should be inclined towards avoiding conversations in which we have to indulge in self-exaltation. 
Dear friend, if you have social media, be careful what you post. Do not post things of self-exaltation. We must be conscious of this. We want to avoid that behavior. You cannot boast in Christ if you boast in yourself. Boasting in Christ is the opposite of boasting in self. That's the first behavior we want to refrain from doing, self-exaltation. Second is gossip. Gossip. Gossip occurs when we speak maliciously about other people behind their backs. Gossip occurs, we gossip, when we speak maliciously about other people behind their backs. And the reason why I'm bringing this up in this context is to boast in Christ. When we boast in Christ, we build others up. We point people to the right person. When we exalt in Christ and we speak highly of Him, we encourage others to go to Him. We build others up when we boast in Christ. Gossip tears people down. Gossip is a selfish type of speech in which we indulge in details that might or might not be true in order to bring others down. This type of speech is the opposite of boasting in Christ. We must seek to build others up with our words. And gossip, whether people know it or not, whether they know you're talking about them or not, gossip tears people down. We want to refrain from gossip. We want to refrain from speaking behind people's backs maliciously just to hear a new rumor, just to hear something new and novel. We want to refrain from that behavior, dear friend. So those are the behaviors that we want to avoid with our speech, self-exaltation and gossip. Now this is what we want to do. We don't want to do those behaviors. Boasting in Christ does not involve those behaviors. This is what boasting in Christ involves. First, we want to be mindful of what we say. I am given to rashness. I am given to saying things that I later come to reflect on and think, well, I shouldn't have said that. I'm rash. I have this problem of not thinking before I speak. And what the Lord wants us to do is to be mindful of what we say. We will one day be judged on the basis of what we have said here in this world. We will be judged. And we want to be mindful. We want to be thoughtful. We want to be engaged with our speech, how we talk. We should not just let it loose and vent to people. I don't think that that's healthy. I understand that there are times when we have to share our hearts. But we must be careful. We must be mindful. We must be thoughtful. We must guard our mouths from saying what's coming up from our hearts. And we do that by thinking about what we say. We want to be slow to speak. And the second behavior we want to engage in is we actually want to speak of Christ. We actually want to say the name in our conversations. We want to say Jesus' name. If you were to take all of the words that you said this week, whether you typed them, whether you said them, whether you texted them, whatever, 
If you were to take all of those words and you were to hit control F, right, find, you're going to try to find this word in your speech. Let's say you type in the word Jesus. How many times did you say that name? And I don't mean as a curse word. I don't mean as a curse curse word. I actually mean how many times did you say the word Jesus in an approving way? I'm astounded that there are people who claim the name of Christ, who come to church, and in their day-to-day life, they never talk about the Lord. You cannot boast in Christ if you don't say his name, if you never say the name of Jesus in your family context, in your friend context, in your work context, you can't boast in Christ. Christians must be marked by the tendency to speak often, regularly, and approvingly of Jesus. That his name is on our lips often. Dear friend, in your family, are are you doing this? Fathers, husbands, do you speak of the Lord when you're home, at your dinner table? Do you speak of the Lord in your workplace, in your family context? We cannot obey this passage. We cannot obey what Paul is teaching us here, boasting in Christ, unless we speak of Jesus often and approvingly whether evangelism or just normal conversation. What's the Lord doing in your life type thing? In order to boast in Christ, we have to do this. Third point. Looking again at 3.3. We worship by the Spirit of God and we glory in Christ Jesus and, last point, we put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. This is my third point. We reject self. We reject self. First point was we worship God. Second point, we boast in Christ. Third point, we reject self. Now you notice the ESV says put no confidence in the flesh. This deals with self-exaltation. To put put confidence in the flesh is to exalt yourself in the flesh. Now, flesh here can mean two things. It can mean circumcision. So the Judaizers, what they did was that they thought of themselves in a very high and exalted way because they were obeying the Old Testament law. They were putting confidence in their religious traditions in order to save them. Paul is saying that Christians should not put their hope in circumcision, in outward, external religiosity. But it's also broader than that. Flesh here refers to any human credential that we might have. I touched on this earlier, whether it's our education, whether it's our wealth, whether it's our work, whether it's our status, it doesn't matter. Paul is saying that Christians reject self. They reject finding confidence in their own achievements. 
And we're going to be dealing with this notion of works righteousness, of finding identity and salvation in ourselves in the next couple of weeks. This is going to be a main theme that we deal with. The way I want to apply this, I want to make a distinction between morality and holiness. Make a distinction between morality and holiness. Morality is good. It is good to be a moral person. If you see a stranger on the road who needs help, and you know that you can help them, and you know that you have the time to help them, and you know you have the resources to help them, it is good to help them. Morality is good. But morality, what morality does is it does good deeds. A moral person does good deeds But at the end of the day, the moral person says of themselves, I do good things because I am good. The moral person, morality, the way I want us to understand morality this morning, is to do good deeds, but to take credit for those good deeds. There are many people in this world like to so kind, so generous... But in their hearts, at the end of the day, they say, I do good because I am good. Dear friends, that's the type of behavior that puts confidence in the flesh. That's what Paul is saying that we shouldn't do here. We are not saved by morality. What Paul says is that we should not put confidence in ourselves. And the way we understand that is holiness. Holiness. Holiness and morality are similar. People who are holy and people who are moral do nice things for others. Sometimes you might not be able to tell who is holy and who is moral. Let's say that you're in need and you go to one neighbor and they give you a tool, and you go to a different neighbor and they also give you a tool, and you know that they both go to church. Maybe one of them is moral, maybe one of them is doing it. Because they think they're good, they think that they can attain goodness by doing these things, and another person does it due to the love of Christ. On the outside, it's hard to see who is moral and who is holy. But holiness has something different to it than just morality. What holiness does, the calling of Christianity is to do good works. We have to, as Christians, do good works. But the difference between morality and holiness is at the end of the day, when the Christian is left to themselves, they say, Lord, I do good because of you. I do not do good because of me. I do not do good because this arises from my own heart. I do good. I work for you, Christ, because you are good to me. I do not do these things because of my own goodness. The reason why I live for God, the reason why, Lord, I produce these good things to you and serve you, is not because of me, but because of the Lord. That's holiness. That's Christianity. Morality this notion of morality that I've been constructing is not Christianity. 
Morality boasts people who strive towards this morality put confidence in the flesh. They do not boast in Christ. Holiness, on the other hand, what holiness does, what holiness says, is holiness strives for good works. And at the end of the day, holiness says, it is all to your glory, Lord. This is not of my own doing. All notions of self-exaltation, dear friend, must be repented of. If you do anything good, anything at all, it is totally because of the Lord. That is what Paul is saying here. And my question to you, dear friend, is this. Are you moral or are you holy? Are you moral? Do you strive for morality for your own sake? Or do you strive to live for the Lord and at the end of the day say, it's all of you, Lord? We're going to learn in these next coming weeks, as we've touched on this week, morality does not save. What saves is the Lord's grace. Only. Dear friend, are you moral or holy? Think about that, please. That's what Paul is commanding us to think about. And that's what I would want you to think about. Pray with me. Father, we pray for holiness. We pray that we would not put a confidence in the flesh. We pray that we would boast not of ourselves, but of Christ, of His finished work, that we would not find identity in us that we would look outside of ourselves for security, safety, hope, and comfort, confidence, and trust. And what we find is the person and work of Jesus Christ, dying for our sins and rising from the dead. Father, give us a spirit of repentance and conviction about immorality and an empowerment to live holiness, to live godly, holy lives. We pray that we would worship you, serve you, and pour our lives out for you. In Christ's name, amen.